Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Avinu, thank you for our brother uh, Lloyd. Uh, thank you for putting on his heart what you have for our community. We pray that it would be a blessing to your people. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. Can you hear me okay? All right. Very good. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank David, our congregational leader, elders. And i also like to thank um, Rabbi Stewart and Rabbi Allsbrook, who have also uh, put out videos on gossiping. Uh, if you haven't seen those videos, I suggest you go to tickbyisrael.com and watch them. They are excellent, and I was very encouraged with those. So today, I'm going to be addressing the issue of preparing ourselves for outreach ministry, preparing ourselves for outreach ministry. And I will address this issue from Mark um, chapter eight. Did we get the prison ministry slide up there? There we go. Um, this would be a typical view of a prison locked up behind bars <laughs> and a site that I'm very familiar with. Um, having been in prison ministry for over 25 years, um, I've been to prisons all over the state of Virginia. I have met with people in broom closets, about the size of a broom closet, to as far as meeting with hundreds in a gym. Prison ministry covers a whole gambit of ideas and possibilities that you would not believe. I would not be a part of prison ministry today if it were not for the compassion and the love that Yeshua had for me. And I have to say, um, without a doubt, that prison ministry has been one of the greatest joys in my life. It's not only that we have a captive audience every week, but it's the expression on their faces that speaks to me the loudest. It's the expression that, that tells me, that says, hey, I'm glad you're here. Hey, help us, teach us, give us something that we can grow on. 
because without a doubt, my number one focus in prison ministry is to change the life of a person, just one. Because if we can save just one, when that person gets out of prison, what a testimony they will have to their neighbors and to their community. And it's always been my focus when doing prison ministry that I would be proud to have that person live right next door to me and be my neighbor. That's the goal of prison ministry. But initially, as a whole, we need to get over the fear of going into prison. There is a very definite hesitation like, yeah, I want to, but no, I don't think so. There is a cer certain inherent fear that we all have. And I understand that. I experienced that as well. But there's a point, too, that comes when you hear the cry or the need of a person that's already doing ministry and says, you know what? He says, I need help. Is there anyone out there that can help? And you answer that call, and he assures you. You don't have to do anything. Just come with me and watch. Observe. Get a feel for it. And being offered that opportunity, how it changes everything. Well, this is kind of like what I want to share with you today, because today we're going to be looking at how Yeshua ministered to his disciples. We know for certainty that Yeshua didn't call his disciples right away and just poof, instantaneously gave them all the knowledge and all the wisdom and all the power to do ministry everywhere and anyhow they just knew how to do it all no he didn't do that it was quite the opposite he called them and basically says now let me teach you in the book of luke chapter 8 let me give you some examples in this one chapter in the book of luke let me list different things different ministries that were taking place in that book alone. We got a woman that was healed of an evil spirit. We have the parable of the sower of the seeds. We had the parable of the candle that should be placed on a pedestal. We have Jairus' daughter that was dead and brought alive. We had the woman that has the issue of blood. We also have the question of who is my brother and sister? And we also have tucked away right in the middle, the demon-possessed man. And that's where my focus is going to be today. Tucked away in the middle of Luke chapter 8 is a demon-possessed man. So I'm going to break this down as it would apply to ministry. And I want to encourage you that this sermon is just not focused at the outreach for prison ministry. It's for outreach ministry anywhere, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's uh, conducting services at VCU or wherever you're at.
This can apply anywhere. It's basically how do you train someone up for ministry, okay? So um, let's look at slide number one, please. So in Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 1, okay, we read this. And it came to pass afterwards that he, Yeshua, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Pay attention to what it said, and the twelve were with him. Who was doing the preaching and the teaching through every town and village? Yeshua was. I call this the observation period. All of Luke chapter 8 has to do with his disciples observing ministry. Observing. So Luke is suggesting at this point that Yeshua was the one that was leading the way while his disciples were observing. In other words, present but not participating as Yeshua traveled from every city and village. And I've got to say here, too, that prison ministry is no different. When someone new volunteers to be a part of prison ministry, it's important to leadership that they have the opportunity to observe, to observe how entry is done in the prisons, the opportunity to observe how ministry is conducted behind the walls. All these things are very important. We need to get used to things. And it's important for us to remember while I'm thinking about it, this is something that's very hard for older adults to do, especially if you've been in ministry for a long, long time. We forget what it was like when we didn't know. And it's very hard for us to step back and say, we need to take baby steps. So I urge ministers at this point and rabbis, remember, people need to take baby steps. We do not want to overwhelm. We want to encourage everyone into ministry. Uh, slide number two, please. So now here we are. And Yeshua said to his disciples one day, let's go over to the other side. So his disciples got the boat the boat ready, and they set sail. I call this the call of, of obedience. Now, for us, we wouldn't think too much of this, but I am sure Yeshua's disciples realized that on the other side were Gentile people. I'm sure they realized this. And it's interesting to me that without any question, without any debate, they went. Jesus did not offer any explanation, nor were any questions asked. They went. The call of obedience. So let's, let's look at this story in a little bit. So we can say that up to this point, Yeshua's primary focus was on the lost sheep of Israel within the borders. So let's call this the home ministry, his home ministry, which is very important, no doubt about it. However, on this day, Yeshua instructs his disciples to do something different. In essence, 
what Yeshua was saying, that there are others that need to hear and witness our ministry. Let's go to the Gentiles. This is interesting to me. So for his disciples, this was a different day. This was a new challenge. So without question, without explanation, they ventured to the other side. Let's look at slide number three. So as they sailed, Yeshua fell asleep, and a squall came down the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. But Yeshua got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. The storm subsided, and everything was calm. Yeshua turns to his disciples and he says, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? That even the wind and the waters obey his command. I call this section the test. The test. Have you ever noticed that whenever we have made the decision to move into ministry, it seems like storms will come out of nowhere to inhibit your ministry from getting started. You will never see so many storms in your life from every direction, everywhere, whether it's from immediate family or situations at work or wherever it is. But storms will come and they will rock your boat. Hmm. Another interesting aspect here that's not mentioned, but let's speculate just a little bit. Most of Yeshua's disciples were fishermen. So it's, there's no doubt they knew how to sail a ship. They knew how to protect the ship. They knew how to handle storms. So in all their physical strength and all their know-how, his disciples are out there fighting the storm with all their strength and all their might and all their wisdom, and they failed because this storm was just too big for them. And of course, Yeshua gets up and immediately calms the wind and the waves. So, when we begin ministry, when we begin to conduct our ministry, it's always extremely important to remember who it was that called you. Satan will do his very best to distract you, to discourage you, and to rock your boat so hard as to cause fear to consume you. That's his job. We need to realize that. 
Yeshua reminds us here in this illustration that we have nothing to fear from the storms that Satan sends. Yeshua is the master over the storms in our lives. Be at peace, for he is with you, your redeemer and your defender. I'm reminded of this, this slide number four from Exodus 9.16. This is God, Hashem, speaking to Moses, and he says this, for indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. That is the definition of ministry, being called being the vessel that's being used, that God's name will be declared throughout all the earth. That is the purpose. That is the heart of ministry. But let's address another issue here because the disciples were rebuked by Yeshua because they said they didn't have faith. He says, where's your faith? I don't think this was a hard rebuke. I think it was kind of a mild rebuke, like, <laughs> why did you do this? And I, I got a couple of um, possibilities here that may be the cause of this. This may have been one of those teachable moments. This may have been one of those moments to where this storm was indeed supernatural. And... The example here is that the disciples, again, were trying to use their knowledge, their strength, and they failed. With Yeshua addressing the storm, and the storm settled down, gives the indication that this may have been a supernatural event and a teachable moment for his disciples. So then again, why didn't his disciples calm this storm? And I think there may be, again, I speculate, it may be they have never seen this done before. Maybe they just simply didn't know they had the power and authority to address the storm. It's possible they were being taught. That's what disciples mean. So it's very possible. So let's go to uh, verse slide five, please. So now they sailed over to the region of Gadarenes, which is across from the Lake of Galilee. When Yeshua stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn any clothes. He did not live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. And when he saw Yeshua, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting to the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Yeshua, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, I call this section contact. This is meeting the need. This is the mission field. This is where the rubber meets the road. And if we look at these scriptures, we are a little bit confused. Why 
would a demon-possessed man run to the feet of Yeshua and say, don't torture me. This don't make sense. I thought that demons fled from holiness. I thought they would have been like, see ya, I'm out of here. Something of that nature. But not in this case. Why did this man fall at the feet of Yeshua and then say, don't torture me? This man has been in torment. We don't know how long. What do you mean torture? This man is tortured. So this is a very confusing text. Unless we use a little bit of discernment here. Discernment is key here. We got to address the man and we got to address the demonic activity. These are two separate issues. So, so it is interesting though, you notice that the demons referred to Yeshua as son of the most high God. <laughs> I would have loved at this point if Yeshua would have said, hey, have we met? But that's just me. <laughs> but anyway, let's look at the next slide. Yes. We find this in John, John 6, 44. And this is Yeshua speaking. And he says that no one can come to me except which the, let me start this again. No man can come to me except the father which sent me draw him and I will raise him up on the last day. So do you understand now just a little bit of what was happening with that demoniac, that demon-possessed man? It wasn't the demons that were ushering him, the man, to the feet of Jesus. It was Hashem. It was God himself that sent the man to the feet of Yeshua. So the man ends up in the right place at the feet of Yeshua. Okay, let's look at the next slide, please. This is a little bit long, but bear with me. For Yeshua had commanded the impure or the evil spirit to come out of the man. Now, many times this demon had seized this man, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by demons into solitary places, or we can say tombs. And Yeshua asked him, he says, what is your name? Again, speaking to the demon. And he replied, legion, because we are many. Now, there was a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside, and the demons begged Yeshua to let them go to the pigs. And Yeshua gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off, reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. So they came to Yeshua. They found the man from which the demons were gone out of, sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed 
in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had actually seen the event told the people how the demon-possessed man was cured. And then after they did that, then all the people of the town of Gerarines asked Yeshua to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat to leave. The man from whom the demons had gone out of begged Yeshua, let me go with you. But Yeshua sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Yeshua had done for him. Now, I call this part, this section, ministry at its best. I cannot begin to tell you how many times the word fear is used in this section. The demons were fearful that they were going to be cast into the abyss. The people were fearful of this demonic man before he was cured. The people were even more fearful after he was cured. This story is kind of crazy, but it teaches us a lesson. Don't let fear get in your way. Stand strong, be bold in the power of the Lord. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can stop you. Did you realize that the word legion, when Yeshua asked this demon-possessed man, when he asked the demons, he said, well, what's your name? He said, well, we are legion. Well, legion is in reference to a number. It's kind of like the Roman legion you probably heard of. Well, in Augustus' day, that number is referenced as 6,000 men. Over 6,000 men represented a legion. But do you realize that Yeshua, in one command, go, all 6,000 demons fled like crazy, and the man was set free from his torment. Now, that's what I call the power of God. This goes back to the purpose of ministry. When God says, it's for this purpose I have called you, that I may demonstrate my power through you, that his name be glorified forever. Ah, I love this. But did you notice what Yeshua told the man? Yeshua told the man, he says, no, you can't come with me. I want you to go back to your town and share the good news. Share what God has done for you. Can you imagine the excitement, the joy 
This man who was so captivated, set free, going back to his town, I can hear in my mind's ear the screaming, the yelling, the jumping up and down, and the yahoo, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free at last. Wow, this is a powerful story. It's It's encouraging to us. So the point here is, sharing your testimony. I want to read to you, there was a a little postscript to this story that was written by a pastor. It didn't have his name on it, so I I can't give him credit. So this man, he went his way proclaiming throughout the whole city with great tidings what things Jesus had done for him. This was a great message to tell a message that every follower of Yeshua should be able to preach. His story showed the value of one life to Jesus because this was the only reason, this was the only reason why Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. His story also shows us us that with Jesus, No one is beyond hope because if this man could be changed, anyone can be changed. Praise the Lord. Totally transformed. Now, from the time that boat hit the shore of the gatherings, did you notice anything missing? His disciples, where were his disciples? His disciples are not mentioned at all, directly or indirectly. Where were they? I think they stayed in the boat. And I wouldn't blame them. I would have stayed in the boat too. This was quite a scene. Now, one last blessing here on this story. Do you know what the name Gadarenes means? Do you know what that word means? It means reward at the end. Reward at the end. I'm sure that man, that demon-possessed man, realized there was a great reward at the end. I'm sure people who do ministry realize what that means, reward at the end. To witness the power of God changing someone's life, that is the reward at the end. Now, just to kind of bring this full around, We've been reading from Luke chapter 8. This is the teaching chapter, if you will. But now I want to read to you Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, and this is after all these other events took place. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. 
And then he called his 12 disciples together. And he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure disease. So what was chapter 8? It was observing ministry. He was teaching ministry. He was leading them into ministry. But you know, this is what prison ministry is all about. It's all about saving one life at a time, transforming lives. And you know, we can't do that very well if we don't have a testimony. Let me tell you something. Testimonies are very powerful tools in prison. It's more powerful than, from what I've seen, than actually leaving Bible studies. Do you know why? Because it's the power of God that's transformed your life. And if you're an older believer, you probably have two, three, four, five, or more testimonies of how God has worked in your life. So now my next question is, do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony that's ready, prepared to go, that you could share in an instant? Most of us would probably say no. I know that was the case with me before I got involved in prison ministry. So what I want to offer you today is a way or a procedure that you can go through to help you prepare your testimony, and all of us have one. And I definitely urge all of us to look at this process and do it. It will really bring joy to you, okay? So let's look at this. Sharing your testimony. Go on to the next one. Recalling your testimony. I know that sounds kind of silly, maybe, but we need to recall our testimony because a lot of times, if we haven't thought about it in a while, we can kind of get it confused. But think about what it was, where you were, so forth, what was going on. Second point. Write your testimony down. This, again, is extremely important. Um, I know for myself, I speak for myself, I had to write my testimony down four or five times. It's just getting things in order, remember the timelines, remembering who was involved and so forth like that. You know, write your testimony down. Get it clear, okay? All right, so now after you have your testimony written down, the next point is rehearse your testimony. This is extremely important. I spend hours with my script, my testimony in hand, reciting out loud my testimony so that I could hear it, to hear if it sounded smooth, correct, whatever. Rehearse your testimony over and over again. Get it to where you don't need the script anymore. It says, okay, I've got it. Now I can go anywhere, anytime, with or without a script, and share my testimony. This is good. Next point is share your testimony. Now, whether you share your testimony with your neighbor, um, with a stranger on the street, where you can, whether or not you can share it in a Bible study or some other study with two, three, or four, or whether you can stand behind a, a pulpit or a beamer, to share your testimony, share your testimony. It's important for, 
to everyone who hears your testimony. It does have an effect. Believe me, it does. And next, proclaim your testimony. Now, this is for those that are super bold and you have a, a dynamite, a super over-the-top testimony, a miraculous testimony that you need to share. This is where you go into the auditoriums and stages and so forth and proclaim your testimony. Those are for those. That's not necessarily for everybody, but if you want to do it, hey, that's up to you. So remember these. Recall your testimony. Write your testimony. Rehearse your testimony. Share your testimony. And proclaim your testimony. Now, in closing, on slide number eight, please. Then shall the king say unto them on his right side, Come, ye blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Shabbat Shalom.